I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. My guest today went to Syracuse to be a broadcaster. Instead, he represents the world's most elite sports broadcasters, Sandy Montag, who worked for 30 years at IMG and built an incredible relationship with John Madden. And together with EA Sports, they launched the Madden football game. Sandy's company today is creative, innovative, and game-breaking as it develops unique programming, new clients in consulting, and an individual that has built incredible relationships throughout his career. We welcome Sandy Montag. Welcome, friends. Sandy, we've known each other for a number of years, and I have to say of all the people I've had an opportunity to work with, there is nobody that has built relationships as meaningful as you have. How you've done that, it's remarkable. Congratulations. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I appreciate you saying that. You know, we've known each other probably for about 10 years now, but maybe a little more, but it's, I've actually learned a lot from you, and I think you're the same way. We both value relationships and friendships and realize when, when you can do business with a friend, it's really not business. It's just easy. It's fun. And there's no doubt about it. So, I mean, looking at your career, how you got started. I mean, you weren't an athlete. No, I was not an athlete. <laughs> and, talk, and talk about how you got to Syracuse, what you did there, and how, how it all unfolded, and how you got connected with John Madden. I mean, that was yeah. remarkable. Well, I, I grew up in northern New Jersey, and uh, I, I did play varsity basketball, varsity soccer. But I was really not on the A team. So, uh, <laughs> what, what I also did, what I started doing in high school when I wasn't playing, which was most of the time, I kept the stat book. And then I also uh, graduated into writing uh, a story about the game into our local paper, which was the Bergen Record in northern New Jersey. Oh, yeah. So, so I really I got into journalism and into stats kind of early there in high school. And, uh, you know, I was always interested in the behind the scenes. I was always interested in broadcasters. Marv Albert was my idol growing up, uh, listening to Knicks and Rangers on radio. And even I remember having a tape of myself and my brother imitating Marv. And I, I still have that cassette tape to this day. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to go to Syracuse to be a broadcaster. And uh, so I, I followed the lineage of great broadcasters that went there. I get to Syracuse, and I, I thought I'd be one of the few people that wanted, from the tri-state area, that would want to go up there and, and, and try to be like Marv. And I, I got up, I remember after one week of calling my dad, saying, Dad, this is not a secret. There are hundreds of kids from New York that want to do this. This is not going to work. You know, I, I quickly then 
pivoted somewhat, um, became a football manager under Dick McPherson, wrote for the Daily Orange, which was the newspaper. And then one day, someone came into the athletic office and, and said, um, hey, ESPN is coming up to do a game. They need a talent stats person. And I said, well, what is that? And they said, you have to sit next to the announcer and give them points and rebounds. So I said, that's, it's like Stratomatic. That's easy. So I, I did that. Uh, I think it was my sophomore year. And I sat next to Dick Vitale. And uh, I think it was Mike Patrick. And that was the first time I did stats for um, a, a network. And I, I just thought I got paid $50. And I thought it was, it was a scam. But I got to sit in the front row of the Carrier Dome sit next to this wacky guy in Dick Vitale and then um, uh, and, and basically you know, get paid to do it. So I, I would say during my career at Syracuse, I worked about 100 games in stats and production. Every network that came up in basketball, pretty much, I was the stats person. When I got out of Syracuse, I um, uh, was on the Madden Summerall team doing stats and production work. Uh, John was just starting to get popular. How'd you get to that, Sandy? You know, I, 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 when I got out, I remember that fall after, after the summer, went away with my parents. But that fall, a BA at, at uh, CBS who hired me when I was at, at Syracuse said, hey, why don't you, you know, work games with us during the season? Uh, for, for, you know, my, my group, which was the Madden Summerall group. So I was a stats person in the production truck um, in 1985 on the Madden Summerall team. And then John traveled by train at the time, starting to get popular. He needed someone to travel with him. And uh, this guy at CBS said, you know, you should really talk to Madden about doing it. I think, I think you'd be good at it and he might like you. So I, I remember... John lived at the Dakota in New York City when he was in town, the building, the famous building where John Lennon was shot and right. Rosemary's Baby was filmed. And I remember going to um, interview with him. Yeah, we, we got along. We hit it off. I told him I love traveling by trains. I'd never been on a train in my life. Um, and and he, I, so that season, uh, I, I traveled with him as his gopher in addition to being a stats guy for CBS, John was a notorious game film watching person. So back then there was no internet, there was no tape. Uh, I had to carry around a 60 pound Bell and Howell projector that we would watch game film on when we got to the city. But it, for me though, it really was a great time in my life without self, imagine going on a train coast to coast, 72 hours without a cell phone. I think most of us would go batty today. But back then, we, we really were able to form a relationship, talk a lot, drink Miller Lite, uh, play cards, and, and see a beautiful country that we had that now we just fly over. But until you drive east to west uh, through the state of Nebraska, you really have not seen our great country. So it really, for me, I learned a lot. John became a mentor and just... Uh, a second father to me, and we began, you know, a 35-year relationship to this day. Then you join IMG kind of right after that? Well, like he says, yeah, he says, okay, you're going to go, I'm hiring you during the season, why don't you go to talk to Barry Frank at IMG in the off-season, maybe you could start working on some of my stuff. 
So I go to meet Barry Frank, who was a legendary television agent, and Gene Sage, who worked for him. And, you know, so they hired me as a gopher, really, answering phones, um, working in the tape room, organizing. And I just started, you know, this is IMG, started by Mark McCormack, who founded the sports marketing agencies. During the season, I'm traveling with John. Off season, I'm in the office kind of learning the business side of it. And really my career, I just was a sponge. I was a fly on the wall. You know, back then there were zero schools where you could get a sports management degree. Today there's 700. So my sports management degree was at IMG in the mid eighties, just learning from Barry Frank, Mark McCormack, listening to calls you know that mark had with arnold palmer negotiations that barry had with the calgary organizing committee on the olympics you know my my, uh degree was learning on the fly which is better than any degree that any school can give you no doubt so how does the madden game come about so then we're on a, a train trip and there's this guy trip hawkins who went to harvard in fact he was the first person at harvard to develop his own, he had his own major, Applied Game Theory. And he started this company called Electronic Arts. They had six employees. They were private. He had a game out, a baseball game with Earl Weaver. He had a basketball game, a one-on-one game with Larry Bird and Michael Jordan. And then he wanted to do a football game. So somehow he got to us. We had him come on the train to talk about you know, to meet on the train, you know, go from Denver to the West Coast. We met for eight hours and he told us the plan. John and I didn't get it at the time. We really didn't understand. First of all, he could not, computer memory did not have enough memory where you could have 11 on 11 on the screen. He said, we, you know, we're going to do it eight on eight. And John goes, well, there are 22 players on a football field. He goes, well, we can't do that. He goes, well, then I'm not putting my name on a game like that. So it, it started out like that, like that. We both didn't really feel there was much to it. Um, he signed, you know, we signed with him for a holding deal, which basically gave them the chance to, um, uh, you know, develop something and see if it worked. And then, you know, we, I think both John and I would probably say we lucked into it really. Uh, we both never thought it would amount to anything. They were behind on payments before the game came out. The game took four years in development before it first came out in 1989. Um, and, and it just, it didn't feel like it was going to work. But we lucked into it, I think, from a sports marketing standpoint. They wanted to offer him a six-figure deal on uh, rights to use his name we kind of said between the two of us, you know, this is going to go nowhere. Maybe we asked for a buck or two a game, which we did. And then, you know, over 100 million, million units later, it's, uh, it's worked out pretty well for everybody, including EA. Uh, you know, it's the number one selling game each year in the United States and number two in the world, usually to FIFA soccer. But Sandy, it, it's incredible, though. You turn on sports and you got Mike Tirico, you have Jim Nance. James Brown, all guys that you represent. I mean, that ability to have come into IMG and build these relationships and take over and to manage this uh, elite group of broadcasters is, is, is spectacular. 
Yeah, I think I, obviously anyone who's had success has some luck. And I definitely was in the right place at the right time. I also I had a love of broadcasting. Since I didn't become a broadcaster myself, I loved the idiosyncrasies. I loved listening to sports on radio. I, I loved the local news. I just loved broadcasters. And I think I was fortunate during that time because of John going to IMG that I got to work with these broadcasters. And I really understood where they were coming from. I understood that, yes, athletes are a great brand, but we were kind of, you know, ESPN really had just started years before that. We were just starting to get to the phase in sports where broadcasters were starting to become personalities. And I think John was one of the first people with the Miller Lite commercials breaking through the paper and doing it. He had a Tanactin commercial and an Ace Hardware commercial. Dick Vitale coming up really being one of the, you know, the first, doing the first game, college basketball game on ESPN. Um, you know, Jim Nance starting at, at CBS in the mid 80s. I think some of these iconic brands, it was just, I was in the right place at the right time. And I just loved, I understood what I was doing and I, I saw it and I, and I just loved it. And I think uh, was able to take advantage of it. The other piece that you bring is this creativity. And when you mentioned IMG, I mean, I talk about the vision of what you've had for IMG and what's happened to this place. And when you and George Pine looked at it, you say, hey, there could be something there. And what's happened is, is amazing. Well, I was employee number 646. I think now they probably had well over 10,000 employees come through there. But I, I was fortunate that I learned at a time when we were small, although we were a global company, I think at that time when I joined, we had 30 offices around the world. I think WME, you know, who bought IMG now, they probably have over 100. So it was still, I, I was fortunate that I, I got to learn under Mark uh, McCormack and under Barry and under people who literally, they would let you sit on their couch McCormack and both McCormack and Barry had a second phone by their couch. They both let me sit on their couch and listen to their phone calls. And I think I still have that today, a second phone. No one does that. I still do it because I still have employees. Any employee could listen to any one of my phone calls. I think, I think that's the way that you learn how to deal with people. You learn about relationships. You learn the things that they don't, as Mark McCormack wrote, what they don't teach you at Harvard Business School, all of those things you have to learn on the fly. And I think, you know, in the early days of sports management and sports marketing, you just learn how to think outside the box. You learn how to, we develop shows like Superstars and Super Teams and Battle of the Network Stars. And, you know, we just, we would just brainstorm and, and you know, Barry thought of the, the Skins game and, Battle at Bighorn. These are all shows that came out of IMG, which today are, they morphed into shows like The Bachelor and Bats on reality television. Sure. But I think, you know, in the 80s, 70s and 80s, these were things that, that McCormack really thought outside the box in, in developing. And I, I, again, I was just fortunate to be a fly on the wall. And I just, I just learned really how to be creative, think out of, I don't, I don't know the word no. It's only, it's, it's just yes. And if we, 
If someone calls and asks that we can do something, it's always yes. If we can't do it, we're going to figure out how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm talking about IMG Academy in terms of what's happened here. I mean, you have a power five high school, the way they treat their athletes and the vision that you had when it was underdeveloped. I mean, yeah. talk a little bit about that. I mean, it's you talk about its impact on on sports, on the intercollegiate level or in golf or tennis. It's amazing. Well, I mean, look, it started as the Voluntary Tennis Academy, and then that morphed into the David Ledbetter Golf Academy. So it really was a sleepy sort of tennis and golf place for many years. I think uh, IMG and Mark were smart uh, early on that they bought a lot of land there in Bradenton, and it had, you know, it had room to grow and room to develop. And I think as the sports world and the amateur sports world developed during that time, you know, they were able to morph into different sports and whether it be lacrosse or whether it be basketball. And now, you know, clearly the football program is elite. But I I think, you know, they had the ability to train athletes, amateur athletes at an early level. And then you have, you know, you had the ability to have your professional athletes train there early on Monica Sellis, Andre Agassi, um, a lot of tennis icons were developed there at IMG Academy. You know, and as a parent, and and I know you you can relate to this, every parent thinks that their son or daughter is going to be the professional elite athlete. And I think IMG saw early on that there's a business to that. Um, But more than that, you know, they train, besides your body, they train your mind. You know, they, they train, they make you a better person. And I think athletics is a way um, when, when you're a teenager where you can develop skills that you can use the rest of your life. And I think uh, IMG was first, first really in, in that, you know, to see that and fortunate that they had the voluntary tennis academy to build off of that and the land to do it. And then you talk about other creativity. You put a relationship together with Ari Fleischer so you could go out and be able to help uh, universities and sports properties with public relations? I was always a C-SPAN junkie. I would always listen to uh, press conferences and even the press secretary at the White House, their press conferences. They were, today they're on CNN and MSNBC every, back then it was just on C-SPAN. And and I used to listen to Ari and I, I got a kick out of him because he was such a sports fan. He was a Dolphins fan and a Yankees fan. And he, at least once or twice a week, would have a sports reference um, in his press conference. And then when he announced that he was stepping down, I, I remember asking my assistant to see if we can get a number for the White House press office. I, I'd like to leave Ari a message and see what he's going to do. What is he stepping down to do? I felt like I knew him because I watched him every day. <laughs> and so we got the number. I leave him a message. I figure I never hear from him. Uh, an hour later, he calls back. Um, and I said, well, you probably don't know who I am. And he goes, no, I, I'm a huge sports fan. I know who you are. I know who IMG is. I was intrigued while you're calling me. And I said, honestly, I don't know why I'm calling you. I said, I just, I'd like to be able to brainstorm with you on what your next move is. I think what you do in communications, I think they're, they're probably sports is very much like politics in a way, you know, one's the front page, one's the back page, but it, it seems that 
you know, there'd be a need for what you do in the sports world. So I came down, we, we met uh, across from the White House at a hotel and, and really decided that we would start a consulting practice. Around that time, there was the NBA referee scandal on gambling. There were a few sports stories that made its way to the front page of the New York Times. And in our household, we've always been old school. We get the New York Times delivered to the front door and, and it's always, it was always on the breakfast table. Uh-huh. My son, Andrew, who you know very well, went on to work with you. He said, he made a comment that, boy, it seems this week there's a front page story about sports every day. And, and it just I, something went off in my head that, you know, that, that, that's true. They happen to be negative stories that week. So, you know, Ari and I just began a discussion about crisis management and our consulting practice morphed into media strategy, media training, and how to deal with crises. And it's become, you know, we, we've, we've had it for a long time, uh, you know, for 15, 20 years, and it's become kind of the preeminent business in crisis management and, and media strategy. And I think in today's world, especially with social media and how we're an instantaneous society, um, PR is very, very important uh, to the business world. And I think uh, our clients, all of whom are confidential, but whether they be professional athletes or universities or corporations, I think they've, they've really understood the value of good media strategy and staying out of off of the front page. And I think that, that we can do our best work before, before there's a negative issue. We do our best work and help shaping that strategy. And it's become, uh, it's become a, an interesting part of what we do. Well, the other piece is you made a decision to start your own business. So going out on your own, not having a big company behind you and being able to lay that out. Talk a little bit about what that blueprint looks like and what you're doing, because you've also produced some really unique shows with Harbaugh and Coach K and things like that. So, I mean, you can then continue to take that production background that you talked about early on at IMG and you've morphed it into your, your current business. So it's interesting yeah. how you've taken all these different pieces and moved it together into, into your own property. Well, you know, Mark McCormack, unfortunately, uh, passed away of cardiac arrest um, years ago. So, you know, the, the family sold IMG and they sold it to Ted Forsman um, in private equity. So Ted, when, when Ted took over IMG at that time, I was running the broadcasting business. There was a reorganization and I was promoted to run all of clients at IMG with the exception of golf and tennis and fashion. Um, so I learned, I mean, Ted was fascinating for, for many, many years. McCormack taught us about sales and then we never, I never knew the word EBITDA. Uh, we didn't really care. I mean, it was a family-run business, so profits really were not that important per se. But then Teddy taught us about EBITDA and 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 how to make money and profit. So I learned a ton uh, from him. Unfortunately, he passes away um, of brain cancer, and uh, uh, Forceman Little put it up for sale, and 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 WME bought it. Ari Emanuel and 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 his team. You know, at that time, um, I had been at IMG for 28 years, and 
you know, it, it became by putting WME and IMG together, really put it made it one of the largest sports and entertainment companies in the world. And it just for me, and it's a great, great company, and I have a, a bunch of wonderful friends there, including Mark Shapiro. It's just I, it just didn't feel like it's something that I wanted to do at that point. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate to be an owner in senior management. And I remember going to Ari Emanuel and just saying, look, let's stay friends. Let's think of things that we can do together. I, I just think I want to start my own business. Um, and I agreed to stay on for a couple of years, helping them with the transition to, uh, you know, with putting both companies together. And it, really in exchange for starting my own company, which uh, we did five years ago. And, and I just felt that, you know, I wanted to have my own culture, kind of the culture that existed early on at IMG, which it's hard when you have five, six, 7,000 employees, it's hard to have a culture like that. So we have, we started in 15, we have 20 employees, we have, we still have talent management, where we represent over 250 talent, broadcasters, coaches, executives, athletes for marketing. We have a consulting division. We consult with teams, leagues, networks, a lot of startup tech companies. Uh, we have the business with Ari Fleischer, which we talked about. And, and we started, my, my love of production, we just started getting into content. And um, uh, you've known Jim Harbaugh, obviously, a very long time. I, I know him. I met him early on, too, because when he was a player with the Chicago Bears, he actually participated in the show I mentioned, Superstars. So I first met him as a player, and so we knew each other. And then I, I ran into him at the NBA All-Star Game in New Orleans, and we ended up having a conversation about content. And he's always interested in content. Um, and I remember he showed me his phone, and he had the most eclectic people in his cell phone. President Obama, Judge Judy, uh, just on and on, Michael Jordan, just the people in his cell phone. I just, it was just fast. So we were just brainstorming on what sort of shows we can do. And I said to him, look, if, if a network would pay to let us um, kind of follow the Michigan football team for a season, would you let us do that? And he goes, well, as long as you don't show us in a negative light and don't, don't forget they're student athletes, that they have to have certain privacy. As long as we have some guarantees that that there are things that don't make it out there that shouldn't, you know, that that are private to a lot of our students, I said, yeah, I'm sure we can do that. So we we ended up um, doing a deal with Amazon uh, for the All or Nothing series, and really the first time that they ventured into college sports. So we we followed the Michigan football team several years ago. Uh, from their trip early on to um, Italy, you know, coach went to the Vatican that that season and then following them through that season, literally every step of the way, uh, coach agreed to be mic'd during every game um, and once a week during practice. And, you know, we, we essentially were embedded within the Michigan football team for an eight part series on Amazon. So that was a real thrill. I've always been interested in the behind the scenes and the all access model in, in sports. To me, 
when you when you get a credential, and you know this better than anyone, but when you get a credential to go into a stadium or an arena, it says all access. And I I've never took that for granted. To me, that's one of the most unbelievable things in the world that you can have a pass to go anywhere you want in a stadium. And and what goes on, the things that go on in the tunnels and the locker rooms and in the training rooms uh, and in practice, to me, are just fascinating. And I think we've been able, we captured that with Michigan, and that led us to uh, do a bunch of other documentaries. We, Bob Knight's been a longtime client and close friend. He had the last undefeated uh, college basketball team, the 76 Indiana Hoosiers. So we did a documentary on... Uh, on their anniversary, the 40-year anniversary of that undefeated team. We did a documentary with Coach K last year launching the ACC Network. People think that Coach K has always had success, but the first couple of years at Duke, he was almost run out of town um, because of the early teams that he had. Then he ended up having this draft class the class of 86 with Jay Billis and Mark Allery. I mean, just on and on and on, just the, the superstars that ended up being on, on that team. So we did a documentary about the class that saved Coach K, which really was uh, a fascinating look. We had ended up having a three-hour dinner with the players from that team and Coach K that we essentially were a fly on the wall just to film that dinner, listening to them tell stories. And uh, it really was a a great documentary uh, that launched the ACC network. So that part of my business has been a lot of fun. You know, I think after you do something for a long time, you need another challenge. And A, starting my own company was a great challenge. And B, getting into content was uh, a great challenge as well. Well, I think you combine these relationships and creativity and come up with this content and ways to approach clients in ways that are meaningful and different than a lot of people that are sitting out there that aren't always looking for an edge. You have to use your brain and you have to think. And I think that sometimes the smartphone that we have and all the technology we have, I think is great. And it enables us to be in touch with anyone around the world instantaneously. What it does sometimes too, though, it it, it takes away from your ability to sit and think. And I try, to, I try to take an hour out of each day without technology and just think of things and just think, look at things from 30,000 feet. What am I missing? What are we doing wrong? What can we do better? Where, where can we get into? What clients should we sign? What's the next great documentary? And I, I just think you have to, you know, God gave us a brain for a reason. And I really think that you, we should use it. And then when I talk to students, you know, I'm, I'm on the board of sports management at Michigan and, and Syracuse. And, you know, I just really encourage, there's so many smart students and kids out there. And I just encourage them really to use their brain and not be so, uh, just so in touch with the iPhone. And just don't let it run your life because you end up not using your brain. To that point, one of the highlights working with your son, Andrew, was sitting around and being able to brainstorm different ideas and different ways that we went after clients and how we'd present information. So that point of what you talked about, and I found as a coach, you know, when you sit around and you discuss topics, 
and, and, and it's an open playing field. Nobody's going to get criticized for their, the ideas that flow and the kind of content that comes out and the way you're able to take something and execute it. There's nothing more fun than being able to have a group of people contribute to something that moves forward and is successful. I'm a big believer in team meetings. So we have, um, we're in strange times right now with this pandemic, but we have a daily morning Zoom call that we get the whole company together. We've morphed into having guests two, three times a week uh, come on and do Q&As. I do Q&As with them and we learn, but we also have brainstorming calls once a month. And I really think a lot of things have come out of that and just listening and, and, and talking to people. Um, you know, one of the things I miss during this pandemic is human interaction. You know, I, haven't, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen you this year. I may, maybe I saw you at the Super Bowl. That may have been the last time or something like that. But you, know, you, you miss human interaction and seeing people and talking to people. And, and to me, that's where the best ideas come out. And um, I'm a little worried, that besides the health issues that we have with the pandemic, the mental health issues on isolation, from a business standpoint, I worry that I, I, I think uh, the head of J.P. Morgan used the term creative combustion. And I, I think that's a great term. I, I think we're losing creative combustion this year. And as a business owner, I worry about that on a daily basis. That makes sense. I mean, when you when you think going forward, Sandy, and, and you think of your challenges that you face from your business, what are the one or two things that stand out that you think you have to get done in order to continue moving the needle forward? Well, I think we're going to be, the next year or two is going to be very challenging on live events. I think uh, on a board call at Syracuse the other day, there were some epidemiologists who said that we may net, not get back to normal in the sports world for two years, meaning we would, will not have 100% capacity in stadiums and arenas for two more years. So I worry, I worry about the live event business in sports and entertainment, you know, the concert business, all of that. So a lot of our business relates to what goes on on the field. And although a lot of our business is media driven, so that television, uh, streaming, all of that stuff, still should be pretty good you just i worry about where live sports in general will go how the economy will affect will affect that i mean you have team owners who obviously got hurt financially really bad this year a lot of them that own their own arena or stadium you know if you have an arena like madison square garden there are most days, nights in, in Madison Square Garden, the lights are on, there's an event between the Knicks, the Rangers, concerts, uh, other sports, college basketball. You don't go, they didn't go from 275 nights to 200. They went from 275 nights to zero. And so you worry about those sorts of arena owners, team owners, and you worry how that's going to trickle down uh, to, to everyone. So I, I kind of worry about that. I worry, I don't, you know, that, that's the worry as far as, I mean, I, I constantly think what is the next thing, what is sports going to look like over the next three to five years? You know, our friend Tony Petiti now at, at Activision, where is esports going to be? Uh, you know, what is going to be the next big thing? Uh, we see, you know, ESPN plus, 
really has become a driver for Disney and Disney Plus as well. You know, where where is streaming going to be? Is in the next NFL television negotiations, will a company like Amazon or Apple TV or Netflix get a large package of the NFL? So you just want to think about what the next trends are going to be. And as a company like ours, where's our space there and how do we take advantage of it? Well, plus you also starting a new racing league. We are starting, um, you know, George Pine and I were, were at IMG together uh, under the Ted Forshman regime. We became very close friends. And then after we both left IMG, we share office space in White Plains, New York. And I also have office space in New York City. But George, who ran NASCAR, he came in one day and we, he said, Ray Everham, who's a Hall of Fame crew chief, and I were thinking we were brainstorming on a new racing league. And he kind of laid it out for me to get my opinion. And I said, George, I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. I mean, it's 12, uh, 12 drivers, all driving the same car, short track, shorter races. And, you know, I, I, I said, let me call Sean McManus at CBS. I, I know Sean was with me at IMG and he helped create superstars and super teams. And, and we worked on the uh, AFL together, um, um, AAF together. And right away, Sean goes, I'm in. I love this idea. And so it, it really, it just seemed like the right time. We're not looking to compete against NASCAR. We just feel that there's room in the auto racing world for something different and something unique and something that viewers on television and fans at the track can enjoy. And uh, I'm really excited about it. We, have, we added Tony Stewart to our team as a partner and uh, as the first uh, racer. And, and it's just, um, it's exciting. You know, we're launching next summer on CBS and uh, we're really bullish on it. I can just feel the passion of how you go about what you do and uh, just respect all the different connections and the way you've been able to get these touch points and having the, the number one video game in the world and with the Madden game. I mean, that, that is just, it's remarkable. And getting that dollar of a game, that was yeah. in terms of how you orchestrated that negotiation. Sometimes you luck out, but you know, John also did, John Madden's had a huge impact on my life, um, not just professionally, but personally. He taught me a lot, you know, a, a lot about relationships, a lot about um, meeting people, a lot. He invented when we would travel he would hang out in the lobby for hours at a time. He invented the lobby hang. There was huh. no such term before that. So we would meet so many people and so many strangers. And just his inquisitiveness um, was just something that really stuck with me. That, and he, he always told people and told me he never felt that he worked a day in his life. He played football, he coached football, and then he broadcast football. So that's been his life. And he, he really believes he never had to work a day in his life. And his dad, who was an auto mechanic in, in Minnesota and struggled to make a living, you know, to go on to be John Madden and have a life like that. And, you know, I, I kind of feel the same way in a way. I think we're blessed to work in the sports and entertainment industry. Uh, yes, it's hard work. 
yes, it's a business and, and you have to look at the financial aspect of it. But to me, I, 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 I can't wait to wake up every morning and to think of, you know, what, what today's going to be and what new ideas we, we can come up with. I feel the same way that, that John did. I, I'm, I'm lucky that I met him right out of school and I'm lucky to be in this industry that um, is, is just so special and, and my closest relationships have come out of it. I mean, John Wooden and his pyramid of success, the two cornerstones are hard work and enthusiasm and you clearly demonstrate both. Yeah. <laughs> Passion, hard yeah. work, and at the top of that success. And yeah. And, and fun. You really have to have fun in what you do. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I believe in hard work. I believe I'm very competitive. McCormack and Madden, for that stand, from that standpoint, you know, taught me those qualities early on that you have to be one step ahead of your competition. And that's why I've always been an early riser like you, work out early, you know, which is good not only physically but mentally. You just feel that you are hours ahead of everyone else to start the day. And that's, that's in my mind, that's kind of the way I look at the day and the week is I want to be two steps ahead of everyone that's in my life from a professional standpoint. Personally, I'm far behind. But professionally, you want to be that way. And, and, and that's really, and just use your brain because most, I, I find that we kind of work in a mediocre society and a media, a, a lot of people just get by and do what they have to do. So if, if you're going to be a couple hours ahead of most people, you're going to be in the top 5% just for hard, just from hard work. And um, to me, you can't, there's no excuse for not working hard. There really isn't. I mean, there you can have an excuse where if you don't have an intelligence or you don't have a skill on, in a certain area, that's one thing. But working hard, people who are lazy and don't work hard have no place in my company. Well, I understand. I mean, it's evident in the young man that I had the opportunity to work with for over three years. So well, it's, you know, for me, it's, it's also a thrill to have Andrew and also his sister Jenna working with our company now, you know, for me and seeing your relationship with your son, being able to, you know, put family and business together is um, one of, you know, the greatest thrills that, that I've had in my career. Absolutely. Well, again, I really appreciate you taking time and sharing this uh, incredible journey you've been on. Well, I, you've, been, uh, you've been there for a good part of it. And uh, it's been a, a pleasure getting to know you and becoming a close friend of yours and seeing the success that you've had in, in a number of different areas and uh, uh, look forward to many more things together. No, I, thanks again. I really appreciate all you've done for me and what we've done together. So thanks. Likewise, Jed. All right. Take care. A lot of fun. Thank yeah. you.